Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A lot of these people, they don't understand the, the, the suffering we went through. I mean, we lost our team and we got them, and we got them back. Most cities, when they lose a team, it's over with. They gone. You know what I'm saying? That just goes to show you the the, the love of this team that people have here. That That's people so wasn't, hey, you can't take our team from us, man. We not going for that. You know what I'm saying? If you take the team, you, you ain't taking our name. You not, no, you can't do that. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Fawcett Stadium in Canton, Ohio, and the 1999 Hall of Fame game. It is electric inside this stadium. It's the welcome back to the playing field as the Browns are back in business, and what a sight it is to see an overflow crowd to welcome them back to the playing field. In 1999, the NFL was ready to market the shit out of the freshly activated Browns. After three and a half years without a team, the Browns were back in Cleveland, and no one was more jacked up than the voice of the team, Jim Donovan. When the Browns won the Hall of Fame game, I can remember the Browns had about 10 buses because they had about 100 players. And they left Fawcett Stadium, and I watched them go up 77. I'm looking at the taillights of the bus, and I said, wow, they just won. This is going to be easy. We're just going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to win, and we're going to go to the playoffs. It's going to be unbelievable. It's like we were never gone. The Browns beat America's team, the Cowboys, 20-17 to in overtime. And they still had the triplets, Aikman, Smith, and Irving, even if they were all getting old. The best part? Tim Couch looked pretty good helping the Browns pull out the W. But just like every preseason game ever, it meant absolutely nothing. Reality started to set in as the preseason went along, okay? That you could tell that they were a true expansion team. The 99 season wasn't just getting off on the wrong foot. It was like getting your foot run over by a lawnmower. The team had to build from scratch while getting shafted by the NFL with the worst expansion draft in history. If the last 20 years were the symptoms of sucking, 99 was the disease. Wash your hands, kids. We're going to Brownstown. The odd thing about when the Browns left is it just made you feel empty. Either you watched your rivals like the Steelers ugh, or the Bills, or you just acted like the NFL didn't exist and you went outside and walked around aimlessly. Even though we all knew the team was coming back in three years, it was still brutal. Here's Mike Polk. That period of high school and some college got robbed from us as being Browns fans and football fans in the area. And those are prime years to be a football fan. And we got those torn out from under us. So we come back and we're all stoked about it. And my dad gets his season tickets again. And my friends were going up to every game. We're tailgating and stuff. And they were terrible. It was not, obviously, not the same team that came back. I've often referred to it as being Pet cemetery like It's not the same thing that came back because the earth was foul where we buried them, I think. And so when it came back, we didn't even recognize it anymore. The team didn't look the same because they weren't the same. The NFL didn't actually give a shit if the Browns returned and were good. I know this might come as a surprise, but all they cared about was money. Here's Terry Pluto on the number crunching. What the NFL did is they put Carmen Policy together with Al Warner. Carmen Policy was a, a big mover and shaker with the 49ers. And, 
you know, he's one of these kind of deal makers. If you look at the price of the team, the bid went in for $530 million. Why that price? Because there were 2019s was going to get the money. They had a pretty good idea that some other groups were going to offer 500 The league was very open to wanting Al's money. They knew Al. And so the bid became 530. This was a whole inside job from the beginning. Remember, Lerner was the guy from the last episode. Our sat next to Al Werner during games. That's how close they were. In 96, Lerner essentially facilitated the Browns' move to Baltimore. He was the right-hand man of Art Modell. You know, the piss guy. Was he thinking in the back of his mind, well, if they move, you know, I'm just going to roll right in. So Art wants to go to Baltimore. Okay. I'll make it work. Okay, so let's get this all straight again. So in 96, Lerner helped Baltimore land the Browns. Then in 97, he convinced Cleveland to build a 70,000-seat new Cleveland Browns stadium. And in 99, he somehow becomes a hero as he buys the, quote, Browns back for a half a billion dollars, paying for what is basically just the name, Browns, the jerseys, and fans. Everything Baltimore didn't take. All the pieces were aligning. He had everything ready to go for the 99 season, except for one thing, a football team, staff, trainers, scouts, equipment people, you know, players. The Browns had to go from zero to a fully functioning NFL franchise in less than a year. They awarded the Werners the franchise in January. They were opening in September of 99. Chris Palmer is hired. They go through all these different coaching search. He was like the fifth choice. He invites me down to his office. I walk in. He's got a huge table. He's got all these media guys on a table. He has a yellow legal pad out. He has no secretary. He has no staff. He's going through legal pads with something, and a list of coaches have been fired trying to put together a staff. He goes, let me show you the weight room. He walks me down to the weight room. There's one barbell on the floor. That's it. They took the weights. And he goes, you know, we play in nine months. I said, well, good luck with that. Unlike babies, NFL football teams are not fully formed in just nine months. You got to hire office staff and buy dumbbells. That's easy. But finding players and coaches, that is tough. Draft guru and Browns fan Dane Brugler breaks it down. Yeah, it's the year-round process. Even when you're scouting for this year, you're really doing groundwork for future years. When you're an area scout and you're going to a college campus and you're working on these guys, you'll attend practice. And of course, you're watching the draft eligible players, especially the seniors. But you're also keeping an eye. Oh, who's that? That, that kid just flashed. Oh, he's a freshman. Okay, I'm going to write his name down. It takes a full year and even more so when, when you consider all the information. Because these, these scouts... I mean, they're looking at thousands and thousands of players. So if one draft wasn't hard enough to prep for in 99, the Browns actually had two. When an expansion team joins the league, the NFL holds a draft where the newcomers get the opportunity to select players off existing NFL rosters. The league had one just four years earlier for the Jags and Panthers. But 99 definitely wasn't 95. The expansion draft was not a good pool of players. You go a couple years later and the Texans expansion draft was so much better. You go a couple years before that with the Jaguars and the Panthers, that expansion draft was a much better pool of players. And so a lot of things were working against the Browns. After the 95 draft, the NFL changed the rules to limit players who were made available. Teams could submit injured and retired players to be drafted. The Browns were picking from backups, practice squad guys, even players exiled to NFL Europe. Sure, Kurt Warner was on the board, but it wasn't greatest show on turf, Kurt Warner. This was bagging groceries, Kurt Warner. Thanks a lot, NFL. 
as the expansion draft, the first large chunks of the new Cleveland Browns take shape here this afternoon. One goofy thing about this, they did this damn thing in the middle of the day on a Tuesday in February. One freaking month after Lerner took hold of the team. Listen, I can barely pack for a family vacation with a month to prep, let alone fill out an entire NFL roster. Browns reporter Pat McManaman knew the Browns were screwed from the start. I remember Chris Palmer talking about how they planned who they would take, and he, and he said, you know, we did a couple mock drafts, and the way it fell, I remember thinking to myself, mock draft? <laughs> You're the only team drafted here for crap. <laughs> the place was packed, and they had it set up, and they, you know, they announced the Browns are on the clock, and Jim Pine comes out, and the place went bonkers. Cleveland Browns take from the Detroit Lions. Jim Pine, center from Virginia Tech. Usually when you have the first pick and you're starting a football team, you start by picking the most impactful position, the quarterback. Not the guy in front of the quarterback, but the Browns actually had a plan. They weren't total idiots. They were iron their quarterback of the future in the real NFL draft, where they had the number one overall pick. The candidates were Tim Couch from Kentucky, Donovan McNabb from Syracuse, or Oregon's Achilles Smith. And the Browns went with... With the uh, first pick in the 1999 draft, the Cleveland Browns selection is from the University of Kentucky, quarterback Tim Couch. People went nuts. We loved Tim Couch because college football playbooks used to be pretend, and he put up video game numbers. We knew a lot about Tim Couch, but he didn't really know a ton about the Browns. Oh, how he'd learn very quickly. I didn't really know a whole lot about the Browns' history and tradition. Learned about it really quickly, you know, with the Otto Graham going back, you know, Jim Brown, all those guys going back a long way. How they had left the NFL and became the Baltimore Ravens, and they were coming back into the league in 99, and uh, was going to have an opportunity to be the first pick and, uh, and kind of be the face of that new franchise. The rest of the 99 NFL draft, however, was a complete disaster. They made 11 selections in total, and not a single one ever made a Pro Bowl. Their undrafted free agent punter Chris Hansen ended up at the Pro Bowl, though, for the Jags after he was waived in training camp. But in game one on Sunday night football's opening weekend, none of that mattered. We were back, baby, with our team and no one could bring us down. It was Browns versus Steelers in our brand spanking new stadium on the lake. Listen to Drew Carey whip up the stadium into a frenzy. I want to send a message. A message to everyone who ever made fun of Cleveland. A message to anyone who ever told a Cleveland joke or laughed at a Cleveland joke. You can now officially shut up! The crowd loved it. They were chanting Cleveland rocks and celebrated football finally coming home. All the while, Steelers head coach Bill Cowher was hatching up a plan of his own. I'll let Jim Donovan tell it all. Bill Cowher had gone to the Browns and said, hey, listen, you don't have to introduce us. This is your night. So introduce whoever you want. And so they did, okay? And he went into his locker room at that point and said, they have disrespected you. <laughs> we don't take that from anybody. And laid a 43-0 win on the Browns on the opening night. And that's when reality really hit. I think everybody and said, this is going to be a long, long road to, to playing, you know, big time football in the NFL. It was such an ass whooping. The Browns abandoned their season long plan to work couch in slowly. I've had a pretty good training camp and, you know, I think the coaches felt pretty comfortable about 
my progression and where I was within the offense and understanding things. Couch was thrown in in the fourth quarter, and it was already 36 to nothing, and most guys were in the muni lot throwing up on themselves. I think we were down by about 35 or 40 points uh, when they put me in the game. And, you know, I think I threw an interception on my very first pass. Oh, he fucking did. Then he threw three more incompletions. Then on the last play of his first NFL game, he dropped back seven yards, was sacked, and fumbled the ball back to Pittsburgh. Welcome to the big leagues, Timmy. Final score, Steelers 43, Browns 0. You know, the plan for me to sit and learn uh, that that first year and kind of, you know, ease into the NFL and kind of get used to the speed of the game, those kind of things went out the window pretty quickly. Tim Couch's baptism by fire in the NFL had begun. If it was a shock that he played in the second half of his first NFL game, it was a huge surprise for Jim Donovan to see the depth chart before game two. The Browns are going to play at Tennessee in game two of the season. Now, Tennessee was great that year, and they had a phenomenal defense, and they're tough to beat at home. And Chris Palmer comes in, he goes, hey, big news tomorrow. And we go, what do you mean? He goes, we're going to go with number two, who was Tim Couch. And you go, really? We're going to go with Tim Couch? And sure enough, they inserted Couch as the starting quarterback. The first series down at that stadium down in Nashville, Javon Curse lays out Tim Couch and sends him back to Cleveland. I mean, with a safety that was absolutely physically brutal. And that began the Tim Couch baptism into the NFL. The Browns were so ill-equipped at that time to be playing a young rookie quarterback. They did not have an offensive line. They didn't have a lot of things, but they certainly didn't have an offensive line. And I really think it curtailed the career of Tim Couch, the beating physically he took that year. Against Tennessee, Couch started and looked a little better than against the Steelers in week one. A little. He threw for 135 yards and his first touchdown. But he was sacked seven times, and the Browns lost 26-9. They were 0-2. Couch wouldn't get his first win until a Hail Mary against the Saints in week eight. And it's time by the Browns! The Cleveland Browns have won the game! And two games later, in week 10, Couch got a second crack at the Steelers. Phil Dawson kicks a last-second field goal. That was a great moment for us, even though we had a rough year. The first game of the season, we got blown out in our own stadium. And then we go down to Pittsburgh, which is a really tough place to play. And we beat them on their own field the last game of the season. Just kind of showed the progression that we had made as a football team. And that, that was a great moment. The Browns were back. Kind of. Yeah, we were 2-8. and eight, But we had just beat the Steelers in Heinz Field with a rookie quarterback. There were still six games left. Things were looking up for the new Browns. There was hope. But the Browns never get to have nice things. I, I feel for Tim Couch because we gave him historically the worst offensive line in NFL history. And I think I think Tim Couch actually could have been good. Like, you, you look at his numbers, and they were, like, decent for someone that got no protection whatsoever. Bust out your number two jerseys. That's next time on Brownstown. Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott. Produced and written by Harry Swartow and Peter Moses. Edited by Isabel Jocelyn. Music by Brian Decker. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shwetha Surendran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a Blue Wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yells. See you next time. <laughs>